It's Saturday, July the 17th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, floods kill at least 125 in Europe, and America debates darker. First, the week in brief. The President of the European Commission, Ursula von der Leyen, said the severe flooding that has killed at least 125 people in Germany and Belgium is evidence of the need to act faster on climate change. Armin Laschet, designated successor to Angela Merkel and state premier of North Rhine-Westphalia, one of Germany's worst affected regions, seemed to concur, calling it a, quote, sad certainty that such events will become more frequent. Roads and mobile networks were washed away along the Rhine, where more than 114,000 homes were left without power yesterday. A federal judge in Texas ruled that President Barack Obama overstepped his authority when he created a program in 2012 to protect some young, undocumented immigrants from deportation. The judge did not, however, order that the policy, known as DACA, be immediately scrapped. Meanwhile, Border Patrol agents reported more than one million encounters with migrants so far this fiscal year at the Mexican border. Joe Biden and Facebook engaged in a testy spat about misinformation as America's Centers for Disease Control and Prevention described a surging COVID-19 caseload wherein 99.5% of new patients are unvaccinated. The president blamed Facebook and other social media platforms for, quote, killing people by failing to combat misinformation about vaccines. Facebook rejected, quote, accusations which aren't supported by the facts. Retail sales in America unexpectedly rose by 0.6% in June from the previous month. Forecasters polled by Reuters had expected a fall of 0.4%. The news suggests that America's economy is recovering from the pandemic faster than expected. But other data from the University of Michigan, which indicate consumer sentiment may in fact be in decline, sent jitters through stock markets. Binance suffered a blow as regulators in Hong Kong and Lithuania issued warnings about the cryptocurrency exchange, adding to a growing list of national watchdogs suspicious of it. On Thursday, Italy's securities regulator Consob warned that Binance was not authorised to offer investment services, while in June the Financial Conduct Authority barred the exchange from operating in Britain. America's Treasury Department imposed sanctions on seven Chinese officials over the repression of Hong Kong's pro-democracy movement. The Biden administration also warned American companies of the potential risks to firms posed by a draconian national security law which gave Beijing sweeping powers to crush dissent in the territory. The moves reflect Joe Biden's antagonistic China policy, which is looking even tougher than Donald Trump's. To the dismay of traditionalist Roman Catholics, Pope Francis reimposed limits on the use of the Latin Mass. Both of his immediate predecessors had expanded the practice in an attempt to win back arch-conservatives, but Pope Francis argued that it has deepened division in the Church. The vernacular liturgy has been controversial since its introduction by the Second Vatican Council in the 1960s. And word of the week. White left. Noun. A term coined in China a few years ago to describe Western liberals obsessed with identity politics. Now it is also used to insult Chinese who are deemed to sound like woke Westerners. 
And now, here's today's agenda. Face with raised eyebrow, global emoji use. Today is World Emoji Day, as declared by Emojipedia, a reference website for the Japanese picture characters. Since the celebration began in 2014, the 17th of July each year sees a flurry of corporate announcements tenuously linked to them. This year, scientists have hopped onto the bandwagon, publishing an empirical analysis of global emoji use in online social networks and media, a journal. Researchers crunched the emojis from tens of millions of tweets in 30 languages. On Twitter, the face with tears of joy reigns supreme, but country determines use more than language. In Brazil, the red heart emoji is more popular than elsewhere. Brazilians connected it to family more often than Americans, whose tweets about family rarely contained emojis. In the Middle East, the blue heart is more popular, while Westerners prefer smiley faces. Everywhere, though, residents of coastal cities are heavier emoji users, as they tend to have younger than average populations. Despite cultural anomalies, emojis are strikingly universal and easily traverse language barriers. Surely that is cause for a partying face. Everything isn't awesome. Lego like guns. Although guns divide opinion, Americans agree on one thing they are not toys. Well, perhaps not all. This week, a custom gun shop in Utah prompted outrage with a kit allowing gun owners to encase their pistols in colorful plastic Lego like bricks. This eye catching modification to the Glock 19 was playfully marketed as the Block 19. The company, Culper Precision, described it as, quote, a childhood dream come to life. Lego disagreed. The Danish toymaker, which was informed of the unauthorized design by a gun control lobby group, demanded the Block 19 be withdrawn from sale. Culper agreed, but not before firing off a defiant Instagram post lamenting the complaints of, quote, anti gunners. Gunmakers have come under fire in the past for aiming advertisements for weapons at children. Federal law prohibits selling firearms to those under 18, but that does not prevent youngsters from getting their hands on weapons. American children, on average, have carried out over 300 accidental shootings a year since 2015. Cosmic Proportions Shanghai's Astronomy Museum Shanghai's newest museum, which opens tomorrow to the public, is massive. At 420,000 square feet, 39,000 square meters, more than five times the size of a British Football Association pitch, it is the world's largest one solely dedicated to astronomy. The building's designers, ENIAD architects, eschewed straight edges and right angles. Instead, the American firm deployed arcing lines meant to evoke the constant movement of the cosmos. The museum features a sphere housing a planetarium and an inverted dome offering visitors a panorama of the sky. According to the project's main architect, the design was inspired by the as yet unsolved question of how to calculate the motion of more than two celestial bodies based on the gravitational attraction between them. Geopolitics undoubtedly played a part as well. China and America have been engaged in a new space race as part of their great power rivalry. The unprecedented museum is ostensibly the latest show of China's determination to win. Climb every mountain, women's cycling. 
Over the past three weeks, the Tour de France, a long-distance men's cycling event, has offered up high drama, including several race-defining crashes. As the final leg is held in Paris tomorrow, many spectators will already be looking forward to next year's and the new race it brings. For the first time since 1989, there will be a women's tour. Back then, the Tour de France Femme was cancelled for not bringing in enough money. The new eight-day women's race will begin on the final day of the men's tour, increasing its commercial viability. It will be a step up from a single-day event called La Course, created for female cyclists in 2014. What explains the organisers' change of heart? It could be that lockdowns boosted interest in women's cycling at a time when the sport was already growing more popular. Whatever the reason, the women's Tour de France is at last shifting into high gear. Saturday Profile, Laurel Hubbard, the first transgender Olympian. For someone who has placed herself under such an intense spotlight, Laurel Hubbard, a weightlifter from New Zealand, is difficult to figure out. She almost never speaks in public. Born male in Auckland in 1978, she grew up in a wealthy family. Her father ran a cereal business before becoming mayor of Auckland. She lifted weights competitively at an elite all-boys school to feel, quote, more masculine. That did not work. She stopped in 2001 at the age of 23, then made the transition from male to female a decade later. In 2017, she returned to weightlifting as a woman. An injury nearly ended her career the following year. Her desire for privacy persisted. That year, she succeeded in convincing a New Zealand court briefly to block publication of her name over a case of dangerous driving. In 2019, she won two gold medals at the Pacific Games. Last year, she took another in the World Cup. In June, she was selected to compete in the super heavyweight, 87 kilograms plus category at the Tokyo Olympics. Her only substantial media interview was in 2017, after she won two silver medals in her first international event, the World Championships. I am who I am, she said then in a soft Kiwi accent. I am not here to change the world, I just want to be me and just do what I do. She observed that, quote, what most people probably don't realise is that I actually satisfy the requirements of the 2003 Stockholm Consensus. These were the first Olympic rules on sex reassignment, which included genital surgery. Regulations since 2015 demand only that testosterone be kept below a certain level. Ms Hubbard's presence at the Olympics will provoke intense responses. Supporters say she has the right to compete as a woman and that her inclusion will inspire other trans athletes. Others suggest there should be a separate medal category for her. Some critics want to see her on the podium to illustrate the oddity of someone who went through male puberty winning medals for being stronger than biological women. Many insist she should not be there at all. Ms Hubbard will probably benefit from the absence of spectators in Tokyo, which could make the atmosphere less tense than otherwise. But she is not a shoe-in to win. She is 43 years old, twice the age of the world champion Li Wenwen from China. One group of feminists worry that if Miss Hubbard loses, then their concerns about her inclusion will be dismissed. Attitudes to trans rights have changed dramatically in recent years. Miss Hubbard may believe it is not her job to change what spectators think. 
Even so, a more outspoken poster girl could do the cause more favours. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Adam Smith, who died on this day in 1790. Wherever there is great property, there is great inequality. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening. 